What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. There's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you. We were hey, everyone. This week's guest is Ryan Key from Yellow Card. Uh, known Ryan uh, and the Yellow Card uh, guys for forever. Uh, original, originally Florida boys and uh, uh, got to uh, play with them many times over the years. And in fact, Less Than Jake uh, uh, was on their uh, farewell tour in 2015 with them uh, for, for a good chunk. And uh, uh, love these guys, love the band. And I was delighted uh, that Ryan uh, picked uh, arguably their, their biggest hit, Ocean Avenue, uh, to discuss uh, today, and uh, you know, we had uh, a lot, a lot to talk about with this one. Um, you know, Ocean Avenue was based on a very specific moment when the band was deciding to move to California, uh, and I had mentioned to Ryan that uh, this seems like a relationship song, uh, but it's actually about leaving his hometown and family. Uh, Ryan called Yellow Card the Bridge Kings because of their uh, their tendency to make long bridges uh, in their songs. <clears throat> Ryan says uh, that Ocean Avenue was 80% of the way to being left off the album because he couldn't finish the chorus. And uh, that's just shocking to me. This seems like a, a theme that's kind of been running uh, running here lately. Uh, the, the biggest hit on the record uh, almost left off. It, it, it's amazing to think, uh, think about that. Um, and how the chorus uh, came like lightning in a bottle. Uh, right away, Ryan knew it was the the right chorus for the song uh the band knew that ocean avenue was a special song uh the minute they recorded it and we talked about in ocean avenue the verse is as known as the chorus uh there's a place off ocean avenue uh you only get the phrase ocean avenue in the verse never in the chorus which is interesting uh ryan is grateful that the song ocean avenue allows him to still have a, a career a job today and um yeah, ryan proudly says the song was a team effort even if uh, not all the people who were involved in it still get along today uh so all this and much more stay tuned hey hey have you heard krista makes a podcast hey hey have you heard krista makes a podcast hey hey have you heard krista makes a podcast hey hey have you heard krista makes a podcast I'm always stoked when I don't have to beg for the band's uh, or the artist's biggest song <laughs> because you know a lot of times a lot of times guys are like I don't want to talk about that song or the, you know a lot of times yeah, yeah. a lot of times a band's biggest song uh or their most well-known song I should say is is something that's a point of contention there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go on with a popular song, and not all of them are good things, uh, as you know. And uh, it, sometimes it brings up uh, uh, bad memories, etc. But uh, in this case, I asked Ryan, and just he, he wrote the uh, a text back to me. It was great. He just says, "Well, I suppose we should go with Ocean Avenue." And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, that's awesome. Cool. I don't, I don't have to argue with him about this." Well, you know, I I have a podcast myself, and I understand um, the the culture of wanting people to actually listen to your podcast. So. <laughs> Um, it wasn't, I thought, you know, let's just, let's just use what works. Let's go, let's go for the jugular. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. Um, so, uh, man, this song, you know, I was, uh, telling my producer, Chris, before we started rolling earlier that, uh, you know, you guys got signed at Capitol by Louie, who was our product manager when we were at Capitol Records. Less yeah. Than Jake. Louis and, Bandak, um, man. Yep. Louis Bandak. And he's, he's such a champion of, of the bands that he gets behind. He loved Less Than Jake. And, you know, I remember, um, Louis would still come to see us play even when we were off of Capitol. Every time we'd be out in LA, he'd come out and see us. Yeah. And I remember him saying, Hey, I signed this band called Yellow Card. And of course we knew who you guys were. We had, you know, you guys from Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, right up right at the road from Gainesville from us. And, um, you know, you guys went and, 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 you know, did this record. And I know the record prior to this uh, was on Lobster Records, one for the kids. And yep. uh, that was, I believe, your first full length with the band. It was, yeah. Uh, I knew the right. guys from high school, but it was not in the band in high school. Um, so gotcha. it was just kind of buds hanging out, you know. Um, I, I ended up, I, I was in college at florida state at the time i tried college a couple times didn't really ever work out uh, for me but um i was it was kind of just a, a weekend hang that led to me playing guitar originally and then uh being asked to move up to kind of being the the lead vocalist guy in the band um 
And before it went for the kids, it's funny. I was like, because we were just a local band in Jacksonville at the time, you know, and the original um, formation, the, the original version of Yellow Card was was pretty hard punk. I mean, it was more good riddance, old lag wagon, um, you know, early mid 90s kind of sound. And here comes me with my, you know, zero rasp in voice saves the day wannabe <laughs> pop songs that I'm writing, you know, and I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, we, we should change the name of the band because everyone here is like, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate, you know, and they're, they're no, it's good. It's good. And we were basically run out of our hometown by people that, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, but well, yeah, that's... one for the kids was the first, the first rec- record right. that I was a part of all the songs and, and we wrote a whole, whole record together. And, and you guys were playing a bunch then. And of course, um, you know, you, you relo- relocated to, to LA and now do you recall, was it, was the record cycle and the touring cycle for one for the kids over with, and you're in between now you're, you're writing for what became ocean Avenue. Do you remember, can you set up the song where you were and, w- and when you wrote it? Yeah. So we, we moved to California, um, I, I stayed in California after we recorded one for the kids. We, we were from, we left Florida to go out there in October, I think of 2000. And I stayed out there because I had some friends from a story that I could tell on uh, this podcast some other time uh, about I, my first journey to California when I was 19. I still had some friends there. So we, I, I just kind of cr- couch surfed in central California, Camarillo, Ventura area for a while until the rest of the guys came out. And that's when we started touring and playing a bunch of shows for one for the kids. But it just, it was fast, man. It all happened fast. We, we, um, released one for the kids. I, I think in, you know, um, early 2001, probably it was like February or March of 2001. And we signed our deal memo with Capitol in April of 2002. So it was quick. And we did an EP, um, that, capital licensed to fuel by ramen to make it look like we were still on an indie label and I we didn't just re- jump to major <laughs> it yep. was all marketing ploy um that was great though and, and having a release on fuel by is, is a is always you know an honor it's it's just such a cool thing to know that we were a part of that family in some way um but we started writing for ocean avenue in late fall um of 2002 and um we went up to this cabin that um, the, uh, the original guitar player in Yellow Card had a, had a family cabin up at Lake Arrowhead, like Big Bear area. And oh, cool. so we all went up there and just, you know, sat around being being 22 year olds drinking and smoking weed and writing songs, you know, and um, that was we, we got like the initial core of the of the songs up there over about a two or three week period. And then we had scheduled um, to go down to back down to LA and start pre-production at the swing house with Neil Avron, who ended up becoming, you know, our, our lifelong producer after yeah. ocean Avenue. Um, so he was going to come in and start helping us work on the songs. And this was a process we, we had never done before. You know, this was crazy. Um, I would say that record was when we learned that a, a great song goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea. All, all of my old songs went verse, chorus, verse weird second verse post thing and then second chorus and that was the end of the song um and it was like every song i wrote went like that for some reason but anyways um so we were working with neil and it started in that you know it was um spring of uh or or, or i guess i'm trying to think of the timeline man my old whiskey soaked brain um it, it was early um early 03 that we were working on this and it was the uh, it was that riff. It started, you know, we were just we would go in there every day, and it was back back in the day when you everybody would set up in a live room and 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 play me. I mean, you guys may still do it that way, but we we ended up tra- transitioning to kind of demoing more um, via laptop and computer and stuff later yeah. on in our career. But back then, it was that wasn't an option, so we were demoing to ADAT at Swinghouse, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it, it started with that riff. It just started with the dun 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 dun. It started with that that rhythm on the guitar that that I I was playing, um, and at the same time I remember I had had the lyrics. There's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you in a note in my like little journal that I used to keep to write lyrics, and those two ideas kind of melded together with that riff, and and that was the song. 
Right. And that, that was the beginning of the song. So I'll wait till you ask me some more questions, I think, before I tell you how it went in the <laughs> studio. Well, there is a couple of questions. So, you know, of course, like I said, Jacksonville is like a, the sister city to Gainesville. It's right next door to, to where uh, my band uh, is from. And, uh, you know, I have an ex that was from uh, uh, Jacksonville. So I spent a lot, of, a lot of time there over the years. And I, I even went and researched uh, uh, today when I was putting notes together on the song. Now, Ocean Avenue, of course, there's, you know, A1A Boulevard, and that's sometimes mm-hmm. referred to as Ocean Avenue. But there's an ocean boulevard in atlantic that's, beach that's the one okay so i'm assuming you you named it ocean avenue because that sings better than boulevard it rhymes better that's absolutely <laughs> the reason <laughs> okay. it, it is not ocean avenue on the map <laughs> there's a place off ocean boulevard okay that yes There's a place off Ocean Boulevard Rhyming with that word is kinda hard Went ahead, changed it up to Avenue Now we have a hit to share with you To share with you Exactly, and you know the thing about that too is I had no idea when I was writing it how how uh beneficial it was going to be that there's an ocean avenue in california and new jersey and everywhere else because in these these way bigger cities and areas um you know people were like oh that's my street man you know so right right uh, it worked out just a little aside here when I, yeah, I actually went and watched the video this morning i hadn't seen it in years and uh i'm watching you run down the street in the video i'm like wait a second that's not jacksonville that that's that looks like hollywood i, I yeah, recognize yeah. that <laughs> yeah that's the same sixth street bridge video music video shooting location that was used in every mid-2000s music video <laughs> that's awesome um so uh so now again let's go back so you're you're writing songs and do you, do you remember in particular, you said it started with that riff. Was, mm-hmm. was this composition solely based on something you wrote? Did you did you write the, all the music and all the lyrics, or was it a band well, con- contribution at some point? We were re- we really wrote stuff as a team. Um, a lot of times, those those kind of main riffs and stuff at at that phase would come from me. Um, I would, I mean, at the very beginning, back to backtrack a little to the one for the kids thing. That would a lot of times I would come in with a whole song idea and then we would transform it as a band. Um, Ocean Avenue as a, as an album as a whole was more collective. Like I said, we were writing up in, at the cabin and really working on the songs all together from the ground up. Um, but this, you know, I I can't remember exactly. I, I remember writing the the the, the chuggy guitar riff yeah. and we had never had a song like that that was just the same three chords over and over again and i remember in those days knowing so many of those songs you know whether it was blink songs or green day songs or some some songs that that did that or even classic old you know one like pops in my head like um um like a u2 song where they just you know it's just the same um what's the song i'm thinking of uh, with or without you it's just the same progression over yeah. and over and over again you know and i i always struggled with making that cool making it work as a song i'm like well this is just super repetitive and i can't make it i can't make each part sound interesting um and and never really wrote a song like that so the bridge of ocean avenue obviously is a different progression and i guarantee you that part was definitely fully band involved um, yeah i'm sure that that pete mosley our bass player at the time and sean mackin our the violin player they, that was the part where they would come in with you know, they they had more of kind of a, a musical theory knowledge than I did. I was kind of this raw, just like I, I remember. I would I would write stuff on guitar, and and our guitar player Ben would be like, "Dude, I, I don't I can't play that. I don't know how to play that." You know, because <laughs> I didn't take lessons or anything, and I didn't. Well, yeah, and he's you- like a classically trained guitarist. Um, so so something like that, where where the the chords got it opened up to the major one chord on the bridge. And that's the first time you hear it in the whole song. I think that's why it's so effective. Um, that was probably a really collective effort there. Yeah. Well, you, you, you took the words out of my mouth. That's something I definitely have at circle here. I want to talk about, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. Cause the bridge is actually one of my favorite parts of this song. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, you know, so we, you know, this song structure has got a first verse and you know, there's really not what you'd call a pre-chorus. I guess if you were, you'd say it'd be the sleeping all day, staying mm-hmm. up all night. Yeah, it's like a tag kind of. It's like a tag. It's so I, I just consider that the, f- the first verse and then there's a fake out. Doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It comes back to a second verse. You're not, right. you're, not you're not to the chorus yet. Yep. I noticed that uh, there's a place in the corner of Cherry Street. And uh, I, I actually went and I'm like, where, where the hell is Cherry Street? And, I, and I, it, it, it's, I'm a, it looks like it's from five points, right? Is that the area? The, no, there is. A, there's a Cherry Street in Neptune Beach. And, okay, okay. And uh, that lyric and all the lyrics in this song were, were based on a really specific moment, which was kind of right before we left for California. 
um, as a band. And I had done it. As I said, I, I had gone to California already once before. I, I dropped out of college twice to try the band thing. I'm like, I'm an overachiever. <laughs> um, and uh, so so I we were, my parents had moved. This is kind of funny. We Jacksonville, you know, has beaches, like beautiful beaches. But I grew up my whole life in, in town, like on the south side of town in, in very suburban cul-de-sac neighborhood kind of vibe. And when I left at 19 to go out to California, of course, all of a sudden my parents decide they're going to move to the beach, like for the first time in our life. And so (laughs) I I leave, they move to the beach. My sister gets to go to high school and live her whole teenage years at at the beach. And thanks mom um, and dad. Yeah, for sure. So I come back, um, and they were uh, house shopping at the beach and had this rental, um, that was kind of like a, like a three-story guest apartment thing that somebody was renting out on the back of their house. And it was literally on the, across, like across first street from the beach. So it was a killer spot, but that's where I was kind of staying when I first came back from school or from uh, California the first time and, and was playing in yellow card. And so when we were leaving that, that whole area, just that Neptune beach, Florida area with cherry street and what became ocean Avenue. That's actually ocean Boulevard. Um, our guitar player was renting a, a house on ocean and, um, and, ha- and a bunch of people lived there. And, and so we would, we would hang out and party over there all the time and write music there and stuff. So it was just this collective kind of area where it was like the song was kind of, uh, saying goodbye to this specific moment in time. Um, which, which also at the same time, while it was a very specific moment in time felt very permanent it also felt like this is going to be way more than a specific moment in time like i i feel like this is the end i'm 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 not going back this time you know right right i say that now by the way as i'm officially living back in jacksonville for the first time in 21 years and i think i'm (laughs) not leaving here ever again now i'm pretty settled but still at the time it felt it felt like that was the move Gotcha. So now you said this, you know, at least the first verse, you know, that was something that was just sitting in a journal. So was yep. this song, was it about um, something in your life or was it just like a story oh, that you wrote? Or was I, it, I was had, it autobiographical? I think I had this clever thing that I didn't do on purpose a lot in Yellow Card where I would write songs about something that would translate in people's minds to a, a relationship song, which as you know, does they do well with, you know, young people and that youthful fan base that came up in the warp tour and with bands like yellow card. So this song wasn't really about one person specifically at all. It was kind of inspired by a, a night that I had where I was saying, um, I have a family here in, in, in Jacksonville. That's uh, three brothers and a sister that I was really, really close with growing up. And spent, you know, all my days and nights with them. And, and I, there was just a kind of a specific night where we all said goodbye to each other. They were like, we were all hanging out literally the night before we all yellow card got in the van, uh, to drive out to record one for the kids. And I just remembered that night very vividly. And and I kind of just wrote about that, the feelings of that. Um, but, but the song, if, if you look at it, you know, from a certain point of view, it, it, it's a real, it's like a breakup song or, or a, you know, leaving someone you love. Uh, kind right, of song. But, it, but it doesn't even necessarily need it, it could be leaving a friend that you love sure 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 you know but it, that, and, and i think a lot of my songs mind. yeah i think a lot of my songs came across that, that way about like sounding or feeling like they were about a very specific person when when really at times they were more i i think i was translating like bigger moments and and scenes in into songs that that sounded more specific so i think the subject matter of ocean avenue was actually pretty broad but the the use in the um in the song, you know, the person I'm speaking to in the song makes it feel more specific. And then, you know, in the first verse, we got, uh, there's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and talk with you. We were both 16 and it felt so right. And then there's the mm-hmm. sleeping all day part. And then the second verse that happens uh, right afterwards, there's no, it doesn't go to the chorus yet. Uh, there's a place on the corner of Cherry Street. We would walk on the beach in our bare feet. We were both 18 and it felt so right. Was that a conscious jump those two years? What what, yeah. what, what happened to 17? <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was the gap between. Um, you smoked it and drank it away. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny actually that you're asking me that, and I don't know why. In the second one, I didn't. It was probably the same thing where it just kind of rolled off the tongue better, sang better, as we say, uh-huh. uh, to say 18 instead of 19. But that was still the gap. Was in at 16. Um, was was high school and my friends that i just mentioned um that i that i think a lot of this song was rooted in that night saying goodbye to them um we would spend a lot of time at the beach they lived closer to the beach than me so i would drive out there a lot when i was a kid at at 16 and we would just go out there at night and and 
drink beers and smoke weed and be, you know, rambunctious high schoolers as we were. Um, and then I came back to Florida at, at 19, um, after I went to California and that's when I was, when I was staying with my parents out on cherry street. So it was kind of that, that was kind of a jump. There was, there was a gap in time. Yeah. You know what, what I always loved about this song and, and geez, we did one of the last yellow card tours when we were over in Europe with you guys. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was like within the last year of you guys being a band. And I just, I love, no matter how many times I saw you guys play this song, I, I just love the audience reaction because yep. the minute you'd started, of course, and what I always loved about this song was it goes through the two verses and it's got the chug, you know, chug a lug thing with the guitars and it's kind of in its own world. And it's like kind of doing the same thing for 35, 40 seconds. And I mean, literally out of nowhere, boom, that chorus hits. If yep. I could find you now, and it just lifts the whole song just goes from zero to six, not zero. I mean, the song's going along, but <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. goes Boom, it goes like 100 miles an hour. Um, do you recall that? Like, did anything... Did anything change from the beginning of writing this song to to that, or when? And what did Neil bring to that uh, that that mm-hmm. chord? Did did you ever talk about we needed the chorus to lift here, or was that just kind of how the song was written? Um, I you know I wish I could remember exactly the evolution from the chug to the to the chords. I I know that there was a conscious decision of wanting the song to just be the same three chords and kind of having that be a challenge. You know, can we can we pull this off? Can can we write a song? Um, like with or without you, that was just the same three chords over and over again, but we make each section build and, and, and lift and stay interesting. Um, I will say that in, I remember at the swing house, um, I, and I was thinking about this before we got on today, I was trying desperately to remember the melody. And I bet if I called Pete, our bass player at the time, he would remember because, I think he was the one who was like, no, dude, you can't use that. Um, but we had the three chord chorus thing going and it was, it was big, you know, like you said, I, we, that definitely came to be in the practice room, like in the rehearsal space. We, we, we developed the song to, to open up into that chorus. I mean, we were, we were able to play it all the way through before we went into the studio. So, um, but, but I had this melody for the chorus and it was some, <laughs> Uh, like like female pop artist massive hit song from the 80s like mid or, or early 80s even and I, it was like a melody that I had and everyone was like dude no you can't you can't use that it's this and I, <laughs> it was like a Cindy Lauper song or it was something like that as long and as no one was, knows fuck it <laughs> uh, I, yeah but I, someone would have known dude <laughs> no I'm glad someone caught it because we, we probably would have gotten in trouble but I um I, I just remember it being perfect in my mind and so I was so frustrated and and I'll, when, when we get into the recording I'll tell you a great I'll, I'll add on to that story and tell you a great thing cool cool yeah I mean like I said just uh I just would love, you know, the, the minute you'd start the song live and uh, the, the audience goes crazy, but when the chorus hits, it's like the place goes, now the party's on, it goes ballistic. Yep. It's just great. Um, you break down to the second verse here and, um, you know, it's pretty much the same as the first two verses. Uh, and, and then you hit that chorus again. Um, and then out of nowhere, like you said, now it resolves with this bridge and it's mm-hmm. Big breath of fresh air, and I, yep. just, I love the production on the bridge. That little arpeggiated clean guitar that comes in there picking—it's just, um, it, it's so good. And uh, I liked also how the bridge. Uh, it just doesn't go through one time. It's a pretty long bridge, but it works. Yeah, we did that a lot. <laughs> we were the bridge kings. Yeah, no, but it but it works. Sometimes it it gets. Uh, you know, I use the word laborious. It just gets like, uh, it's 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 too much. But 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 this is perfect. Um, again, do you remember it, it all? Like, uh, and I know I've asked about him a couple of times, but just wondering what what Neil brought oh, to this because he, he's such a fantastic pop punk uh, producer. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, he brought a lot to that, if I recall. I mean, think about how it opens up on on the the major one, which is the A A major chord, and it does that kind of flam, you know, on the drums, uh-huh. and the bass is going from, um, I I guess it's going from from uh, what would it be? Is it going from A flat to 
kind of want to grab a guitar and find out, or is it going from? <laughs> and I wish I did. I usually pick. Up I the think I think it's too. going. I yeah, the, I think the bass is going like A flat to A, while the guitar, you know, it's going and we're just playing the A, and then and it's keeping the the guitars are keeping the um the rhythm from the from the verse. It's going they're they're going bum 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 but they're just hanging on the A, and then it drops into a, a straight beat like the chorus but it just stays on the a you know and i don't I, we wouldn't have, i don't think we would have been we would have thought of things like that and i'm and neil was definitely involved in like let's do this little teaser of the a chord and then and then we'll then we'll just jump in on the same chord and i think without him things like that we would have been like well you can't play the same chord you can't start a section and then start it again on the same chord things like that you know and yeah and all the all the tones there change too the guitar yeah for sure change. it, it whole, gets real sparkly <laughs> yeah it gets sparkly but it, it like I, I i mentioned before it's just this big breath of fresh air that that by the end of it you know and it, like i said it's a pretty long bridge that totally works but by the end of it you're like i don't i, I know what's coming that damn chorus yep. is coming again yeah and then <laughs> yeah. it just, then it just bel- belch in the it belch in the head again and it, it's great yeah. um did you guys you you'd mentioned recording on adats at uh what was the the studio called again something far uh, the, sw- the swing house, the it's, swing it's, house um, sorry. yeah it's like um, a legendary you know rehearsal they have a full studio there too but it's mostly for rehearsal kind of like sir style right okay um yeah we never i've never been to the swing house i've been been did, been did a bunch of work at sir but and never, never some crazy stories of people that we were there with like Soundgarden and all oh, that cool. dude there was just the chili peppers were there one time we did we made a couple of records there like rehearsed for a couple of records there and it was like our some of our most la hollywood mind-blowing like yeah it's chris cornell's you guys up. you guys got to see current stars like we, we had quiet riot it's 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 sir with us <laughs> yeah yeah we yeah we were definitely <laughs> seeing people that were still very like current, current legend yeah, yeah. um so do you do you recall actually demoing the song does a demo exist of ocean avenue before you did it with neil i would have to ask if neil has has those tapes you know Uh, Ah. but no we we didn't we didn't have any kind of setup back in those days to to demo pre i guess pre pre pre-production right so we we just didn't We, we would just rehearse them a thousand times to be ready and i remember we were up in arrowhead working on the songs you know we knew that we were going to go work with Neil and we were just, we were so nervous about being prepared. So, I mean, we were drilling these songs and, and the, we probably had like six or seven of the 13 songs done up there, you know, as far as done on our end before Neil got a hold of them and was like, this part sucks. This part's awesome. Do this part four more times, you know? Um, and we had never really been produced that way. Uh, but, but yeah, so we, we didn't, we just didn't have the recordings like that. And I, I know, Somewhere there's some some ADAT tapes with those swing house recordings, and I'm sure they sound real good. Not <laughs> well now. So, do you remember how long before you actually met up with Neil? And I'm assuming you did some kind of pre-production with Neil before you press record. You you were going over the oh, material. He was yeah. He was there for the whole time we were at Swing House. Gotcha. He, okay. He, we started there with him for a full. This let, let's tell everybody about 2003 unknown band major label recordings just to really put it in perspective compared to now we had a $350,000 recording budget initially it almost doubled by the end but they gave us that and the amount of time we had to make this record was um, a month up in the mountains on our own and then a full month in swing house four whole weeks of rehearsal with Neil and then five weeks at sunset sound in the studio with neil yeah la- with, with, a, with a food yeah. budget by the way you got, yeah, you, got no, la- three, la- you got three la- meals a day labels were wiping their ass with a hundred dollar bills back then <laughs> it i mean it, just, it was a different it was a different it was world crazy so we had, yeah we had a whole month of pre-production with neil at sir and I, you know what though i swear i that month changed my life forever hello everybody i'm bruce And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. 
Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. That was, that's when I learned how to become a songwriter was in those four weeks, my first time working with Neil Avron. It, it changed me forever. And, I, and was there any reason, you know, I know Newfound had done the record with Neil by then. I believe he did mm-hmm. Sticks and Stones. Was, w- w- was this a label's call or was Neil like the, was Neil like your dream producer so, choice? This is so funny. Eric Valentine was our dream producer choice. Well, really? I, and I, I, I don't know if I can speak for everyone. It was my dream producer choice. Um, Which Eric Valentine's amazing. He's great yes. too. Yes. So, so the way I understand the story, and I, I, this, some of this could be wrong. You know, you how you know we're we're not the young men we once were, and your memory just remembers things the way it wants to sometimes. <laughs> but this is the way I remember it. Uh, we were playing at the Avalon in. I can't. It was. I don't think it was called the Avalon back then. But the either way, it's, yeah, some, something like that. Um, yeah. at in in Hollywood. And we were opening for No Use for a Name. And Eric Valentine was coming. We had had a meeting at Capitol, basically, where we said, you know, where they, they said, who are your your dream producers? And we went with all these 90s, you know, Brendan O'Brien and Eric Valentine and all, the, all these people like that. So thinking like, there's no, you know, there's no fucking way we're going to get to work with these guys. <laughs> um, but Eric Valentine was coming to the show at the Avalon. And this is how I understand it. And if someone wants to, at me and tell me, you know, at the label, if anyone sees this, um, <laughs> although everyone at the label is like 60 now, but st- from then, but still, uh, he came to this show and apparently wasn't on the list and he was like, well, fuck you then and left. And oh. that was it. Yep. And that was it. No Eric Valentine. Um, which, you know, but, what's, you know, what's crazy with, with fate in this business, you know, as well as I do, uh, there's yeah. a, there's a chance that Eric Valentine could have produced this record and it, and it wouldn't have done it, done anything for you guys. You don't, you never I know think about it all the time. I think about it all the time. And the way we met Neil was so cool, man. He, he had one for the kids and, and I, that record to me, I, I don't want to upset anyone who, who loves it as well. And I know it is what it is and what it stands for, for the band, but just the production and the, it's so old and it's so, it's really, it's actually hard for me to listen to. It's kind of like nails on a chalkboard style. I can can relate. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you understand what I mean, but he loved, he thought there was something there to the record Neil did, you know? And so we were playing, um, we were playing at, uh, bottom of the hill Uh in San Francisco. God, was that show with you guys? Because, we were in, in an RV at the time, and we were in an RV on that tour with you that we did. I can't remember if that Bottom of the Hill show was... We definitely weren't headlining. That might um, have been. Was, uh, was uh, I can't remember. Was One Man Army on that with us? I, honestly, man, I can't remember, but I, I think... I'm really thinking it might have been. But yeah. the point is, Neil flew up to San Francisco to come to this show because there wasn't an LA show that he could get to before like touring was done or whatever, some, something like that. So he flew up there watched the show and got on the RV with us afterwards and basically just was like, I, you know, I think you guys have something special and I want to be a part of it. And if you trust me to make your record, I'd love to do it. And there was just no question in our mind. We're like, dude, he came all the way up here. The newfound glory record sounds insane. Well, Let's you know, it. and and Let's he into any great producer, they can they can uh, see through the warts and the scratches of one for the kids. You know, he could see, yeah. he could yeah. go, okay, there's something here that I could I can definitely mold this, and uh, um, which is great. And so, uh, you're you're doing the record now. You're recording it, and, and by the way, where did you record the album at? Sunset Sound. Oh, you did dude, sun, you just, did Sunset. Yeah, oh, which we is, did we did Ocean Avenue and Lights and Sounds um, at at Sunset Sound, which and, is legend man, legendary. Sunset it was, Sound. dude. It's my two two of my favorite and and you know things I'm most grateful for experiences in my musical career was getting to make those albums at that studio. Oh, it's awesome. with me forever. That's awesome. Um, and, and and you're there and you're tracking the record now. Um. How many songs were on the record? 12 or 13? 13. 13, yeah, 13 songs. Where in your mind, you're, you're in there, uh, you know, you're, you're got the drum tracks down, you're starting to lay guitars, maybe the bass is starting to get laid down. Where is Ocean Avenue in, in your mind at this point in terms of, of single uh, video? Or is it just another song? Were there other songs that you felt were, were better than this? Where, where were you at with it at that point? So this is what I was hoping you were going to ask me. Um, Ocean Avenue was 80% close to not going on the record. 
That's so crazy. I just had um, a conversation with someone the other day about that. I go. couldn't. <laughs> so remember back to a, a, a few minutes ago when I told you the Cindy Lauper story or which, whoever it was, <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't finish the chorus, dude. I couldn't do it. I, I, I remember walking into the control room with 15 different ideas and Neil just being like, meh, meh, keep trying. And I, yeah, I just, it just couldn't, I couldn't get it, dude. It was something about the three chords repeating. I just, I couldn't come so, up with something that was interesting or, or like made people go, well, you know, yes, that hits, hits where it should as a, as a chorus. And did you, did you have these lyrics though? Were they the same Cindy Lauper no, melody? So they, no. They, no. So these, these came when it was finally this chorus. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, but we all knew the verse, the, the verse was recorded. We, I had, I had tracked, we, we had gotten to a point where it was like, let's track the verses. Um, and I don't remember about, I don't remember if I tracked the bridge or not, but it was something like that where it was like, well, we have this meat of it. Let's track it. And maybe it will help you if you have a, a nice recording of it to kind of live with and sing along to. And so that's what I would do while everybody else was working on stuff that we had, there was a little, um, like the, the vocal room at, at, I think we were in studio three at sunset sound. It's a, it's the big one. It's a big room. Um, and the, so there's this big vocal room with a couch in it and stuff. And I could kind of close myself off in there and work. I remember. And, um, I would just sit in there with the, with it and, and sing it over and over again. I couldn't get anything. Um, so let's, and say, it was, let, let's say, sorry to interrupt real quick. So let's say let no. ocean Avenue didn't make the record. Were you still going to call the album ocean Avenue? No, no, we, there was no, I, they were, they, I don't think that was in, in anybody's mind at all until this song was done. Um, and, and it does tie into your question about like, where was it single wise and all that stuff? Because the way I remember it is they were tracking something else, a lead guitar or Sean was in the big live room tracking violin for something. Um, and he was probably pissed at me because <laughs> I, I walked in with another idea you know, and I, and I just kind of walked into the booth or to the, to the control room, excuse me, and said, Hey, can you pull up ocean Avenue? I want, let me, let me sing, let me sing this one for you. And I was like, Hey, you know, Sean, hold on a sec. We got, we're going to do a thing real quick. And he pulls it up and I just, if I could find you now, things will get better. We can leave. And he was like, that's it. Go, go record it right now. So it was like, whoever was working at the time was like, you're done for the day. <laughs> We're recording this and, vocal. And, and what, what, what finally happened with that lightning in the bottle? Do you remember? Like how that I happened? don't. Right. I you don't. Said, I mean, you, I know you, said, I, you don't remember. So I'm thinking like, how the hell did this, because you, it sounds like you did a rewrite on this thing like a dozen times. I did. I did. So it was, it, I'm sure it was, I was sitting there in that, in that vocal room on my own and I knew this one. I, I do kind of remember knowing, oh, okay, this, this works like this is cool. Um, and, and walking in there to, to sing it to Neil and his reaction was very clear. He, I mean, it was like, yes, that's it. Let's well, do it. I, I love the lyric, you know, and I love the lyric for so many reasons because everyone can relate. And I mean, Bruce Springsteen's made a career about leaving this town, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Neil Young, all the great songwriters, that imagery of leaving this town and starting over less than Jake history of a boring town. We, we, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, most of our early records mention about leaving town and starting over. And if yeah. I could find you now, things would get better. We could leave this town and run forever. Let your waves crash down on me and take me away. I mean, you know, we could leave this town. People love that. There's a sense of rebellion there. There's a sense of yeah. I'm starting over. F you. I'm going to do this. And and people can latch onto that as much as they can latch onto a love song. And I think that, you know, that lyric combined with the melody that you came up with, they, it was just, it was the perfect mesh. It was a perfect storm, as you say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was the actual leaving town that we had done. It was that night with my friends that was very overwhelming and sad to feel like I was saying goodbye to this chapter of my life that I knew was actually over this time. It was going to California the first time, which made this second time, I think, feel more real, knowing that I, I had tried and been unsuccessful, but that this time I was I was not going to give up and I was really going, you know, there was all those perfect things that led to this very kind of basic and simple idea, leave this town and run forever, that I had no idea that at the time I was, um, you know, I'm not going to compare myself to Springsteen, but I like that you bring up, I, I love Bruce Springsteen, especially his, I, I'm a, I'm a late Springsteen fan. Like I love his, his, the stuff he writes, he makes now, That's um, great. but, but, but to compare myself in some way to that leaving town concept that, you know, he, yeah, he, he 
got huge on. Um, that was the thing. It was just this perfect storm of of life events that led me to write this simple line of lyrics that everyone re- ended up relating to. Yeah, I knew it was good, but I had no idea that that's what I was doing at the well, time. Well, and how many um, times have you been on tour with a band too? And it's like you know, there you you hear their song every night, every night. And I've heard Ocean Avenue a, a ton of times. Plus, it was a huge radio hit. But I just, yeah, it's a great song's a great song, man. And uh, seventeen, eighteen years later, here it's every time I hear it or when I see you guys play it i would like i said we did that that european tour together and uh i'd I'd watch it every night i love the reaction i just love the song when the song was finished you got the chorus down did you guys know then like this is great this is special or was it still kind of like it's just ocean avenue no we knew Uh, it's been there aren't a lot of songs uh and well i think for a while after that, especially after the, the success of Ocean Avenue, so some of the songs on Lights and Sounds, it was like, yeah, that's it. But after that, when it was like, okay, this doesn't happen every time that you think you've reinvented the wheel with a song, um, we realized in hindsight how special Ocean Avenue was, but also in the moment we did realize we had something special. I, I, I mean, the the power of it, the 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 weight of that chorus like you said when it drops in and then also to learn this like later when you look back the it's funny how this song i i genuinely think that the verse is as you know known as is as sung yeah as the chorus i mean when people talk about yellow card they go there's a place off ocean avenue they don't go if I could find you now, they, that's not the thing they sing. Yeah. Right? And, and that's, that's the brilliance of that. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was going to mention that the song's called ocean Avenue and you only get that in the verse. Right. The one right. time you don't get it, yep. you know, which is amazing. Uh, Lincoln park made a career out of that. You didn't know if the chorus was the verse or the verse was the chorus. They were yeah, exactly. They, man. They, were, and it's, they were geniuses and, at that, you know, and live, like you said, watching it live, that that whole concept is just mind blowing because it's this it's us the only song I think really um, in in our entire catalog of songs where every word to both verses chorus bridge it's really everyone is singing every word yeah, you know awesome. there's there's other songs that have huge choruses that are yellow card songs that I love and I'm really proud of and people sing the shit out of them but. They'll mix, you know, you can see people mixing up the words or doing the kind of mouthing like meh, in the verse, you know, nobody cares about the verse. <laughs> yeah. It's that whole thing. Yeah, sure. Like, why do we even write verses? Who cares? You know, but, but this one, it was like the verse was a chorus too. And the bridge was a chorus too. It just, I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, this, I say it all the time. The song is the reason I still have a job. So yeah, whenever well, anyone. And, and you know what? That's really cool of you to say, because man, you know what? Some people don't get the one song that still gives them the job. You know, mm-hmm. they they never get that song or they never get that break or whatever you want to call it. And the fact that you could be grateful for this song, because like I said, at the top of the top of the uh, podcast, it's like sometimes people are, are begrudgingly. They don't want to talk about that song. Maybe an ex bass player or a guitar player had a hand in what, you know, there's bad memories attached to it. But uh, you're grateful. Well, you're grateful for this. And that's awesome. Well, I think it's it's cool that you say that, too, because um, it's it's not a secret that yellow card and. and members that ha- have been and and still are or were you know haven't always ended on on the best terms or remained through life on the best terms but um that said i i will will proudly say that this was a team effort you know i didn't i didn't write this i didn't walk in the door and say as we've talked about now on the podcast i didn't walk in the door and go hey guys i've got our hit song you know i couldn't have been a part of this song without the other guys that were a part of it yeah um, and i've always maintained that with myself too it, you know it's, a, it's a, a band a lot of times is definitely the sum of the parts um yeah one last thing i just want to want to touch on so what was that like you, the the record comes out and all of a sudden this song goes to radio you're mm-hmm. 22 years old and this thing just goes through the roof and just to get my listeners a little uh, uh comparison here and this is by no means being disparaging towards less than jake we've had a, a storied amazing amazing career um but we never had a radio hit you know on our the one song that um 
wasn't even pushed to radio. It's a song called Rest of My Life that was on our uh, yep. record. It came out in 2005. And that song uh, has garnished over 5 million YouTube views, which is nothing to sneeze at. But uh, Ocean Avenue has 40 million YouTube views. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a ma- it was a massive hit. And yeah. what was that like? What what did that feel like? Because I mean, I you know we've like I said we've had uh, a great success, but it was always kind of the slow climb with us. It never just went like holy shit, boom. Yeah. Um. Man, I feel like we need to do a second podcast <laughs> well, for, for, give, for give me us, to answer that question. Give us the condensed um, version. I mean, that had to just it, be amazing. It was absolutely surreal. I, I mean, there was we were by all definition a garage band when we started we we literally practiced in parents garages you know so it was absolutely mind-blowing um and combine it with the fact that this was almost a track that was left off the record exactly exactly and we had had like a little taste before ocean avenue look our time at capitol records was for all my friends in the music business that have had these horrific major label stories which so many people do like you know, they were so excited and they got this big deal and they were they were going to be the next big thing. And then they just get lost in, in the shuffle and put on the shelf. We had this team at Capitol that was so passionate about our band and it felt so grounded and not not Hollywood at that time. Now, we again, we could do another podcast about just Yellow Card in general. It changed over the years, but at the beginning, it was so rooted in what we were as a band when we started and it stayed that way even as it climbed to this you know stratospheric level of success uh the marketing and the and the attitude towards the band was well let's let's keep it you know we were going to go with a fourth single empty apartment was going to be a fourth single and the decision was made to, to not do that in order to not oversaturate the band and take away from the roots of the band and uh, that was all Capital's decision. You know, we were probably like, come on, no, let's do it. Bigger, bigger, more, <laughs> you know, but uh, that was the vibe. So we had a little taste of it with Way Away, the first single. I will never forget sitting on the bus as a band in 2003, the, the year that the album came out, because Ocean Avenue, the song didn't hit. It released to radio in January, I think, of 04, but didn't really hit until that that summer yeah. of 2004 but in 03 the summer before we were on the bus and i remember the moment watching way away on mtv for the first time you know seeing our band on mtv and so i, I almost want to say that 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 was a more impactful experience because it was i remember the moment so specifically yeah um and then we were kind of in the machine at that point you know the radio and everything yeah by the um, time ocean avenue came out you kind of were already right. in the bubble yeah right but when we but at that said when we started getting the phone calls about the numbers and the chart positions and the album sales and all this stuff we were just i mean we didn't and again like you said we, we were 24 years old we didn't know how to handle any of that stuff i just know we thought we were the coolest kids that ever lived you know we were just so blown away by what we were accomplishing and couldn't and, understand how it was real and, and and you were man and that's cool and you deserve every bit of success that came came along with it and uh you know i'm i'm, I'm proud to, to still call you a friend after all these years uh yeah dude i i love this song we're still out there doing it we uh uh, you know, and, and that that's testament to having a good band and good songs. So uh, we're going to going to wrap things up here. If you'd like to let our listeners know what's going on in the world of William Ryan Key, please, uh, please let them know. Yeah, for sure. I'm doing a couple different things right now. One is kind of not people don't really have access to, but I'm really excited about it. I, I've been working for the last many months on starting to really get my foot in the door with scoring and composing for film. It's been a big dream of mine for a long, long time. And so I'm, I'm currently working with Ryan Mendez, the lead guitar player for Yellow Card, who has been a writing partner of mine ever since Yellow Card ended. We, we work on a lot of stuff together, but we're scoring our first feature film right now, and we're really having a blast and That's hoping it's going to open some more doors um, for us. But for for music of my own that you can you know get and listen to, because I'm working so hard on the scoring stuff, I've realized that like releasing and doing an album cycle and touring and all that kind of stuff, it, it just may not be the best uh, avenue <laughs> for me. Um, <laughs> or Boulevard. So or Boulevard, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to get literal. Um, so, so I, I have some friends who have started these things and are having this incredible experience connecting with fans and, and providing content, doing live stream sets and all this kind of stuff. And I researched it and it felt like a really great idea. So, um, by the time this podcast come out, comes out, it will probably have already been launched, but uh, I have a Patreon page where I'm going to be releasing a new song every month. 
um, and doing a live show every month and a Q&A every month and, and doing some handwritten lyrics for being downloads and stuff for people. Just just a bunch of different cool things that I feel like are are uh, are cool ways to engage with with the people who still support me. Uh, in post yellow card life, so I'm really excited about it and and building the community and and writing recording new songs. I'm I'm able to kind of just explore the studio space, you know, as as uh, Will Ferrell once said. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm able to just kind of like I mean these songs are they are way off the boulevard of yellow card, um, but for me it's just that's what keeps me making music is really. Um, pushing boundaries and, and, and my own boundaries, I mean, and, and kind of exploring new sounds and stuff. So I'm sort of using this as a platform for people to maybe come along with me and listen to all the different stuff I'm trying. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's fun and I'm loving writing the song. So, um, like I said, it'll be a new song every month and it's uh, patreon.com slash William Ryan key. Um, and then one last one, I know you gotta go, but, um, I have a podcast with two of my buddies, Adam Russell, uh, from the band story of the year and Nick Gambarian from the band Bayside. The three of us have a star Wars podcast called thank the maker. Um, and you can find it anywhere you, you get podcasts and we are having a, a blast doing this and it's really growing. It's crazy. We just had, uh, Ashley Eckstein, who is the voice of Ahsoka Tano on the clone wars <laughs> on as a guest. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, she's like one of the biggest, um, people in you know in in stars in the Star Wars universe, I'd say she's like the biggest uh, female Star Wars star behind Daisy Ridley right now. You know, so um, we're we're making waves with that, and it's just such a fun hang. So if you're into Star Wars or you just want to hear some band dudes be geeks, uh, check it out. Thank the Maker is our podcast. Awesome, man. Well, hey Ryan, thank you for uh, for giving uh, me your time today, and uh, you know, thanks for again for being a friend. And uh, of course, best, dude. Best, best, best of luck with everything. All right. I to to be going to see Less Than Jake at the Milk Bar when I was 16 years old in Jacksonville, and then to hang out with you the way I do now—it's it's, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure, sir. Yeah, buddy, thank you so much, man. Much love to you. All right, all right, bud. You too. All right, be well. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack. Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. Uh, if you'd like your band to be previewed on Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. Again, that's bandyoumightnotknow, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, all I ask for is a good quality recording of a song you feel best represents your band. Uh, this week's featured band is String Machine, based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The lineup consists of David Beck on guitar and vocals, Dylan Kirsten on synth and tambourine, Nick Temple on the drums, Mike Law on bass, Ian Compton on trumpet and guitar, Laurel Wayne on vocals, and Katie Morrow on the cello. You can find them on Instagram at String Machine Music, and you can find their music on Bandcamp and all the streaming sites. Here's a clip of their song, No Holiday, Excite Again. The Rap with Chris and Chris. All right, man. Well, there we go again. There's the recurring theme that we heard back in Tim McElrath from Rise Against episode. The song that almost got left off the album, it almost cut, got cut or became a B-side, becomes a worldwide smash hit single. Yeah. Yeah. How many times does this happen now? Was it only the Tim episode? I could have swore it happened again. It, it's, uh, it, it's amazing that... Uh, this almost ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What what's up with that? Is it because those songs 
Um, maybe the people writing them thought of that thought of those songs as being too simple as far as like the chord progression and the arrangement and thought like, no, I have all these other songs that are more complex. And I, I think it's it that be, part I, of it. I think it could be a number of things. Yeah, I think that could be one component to it. I think uh, other things are is no one truly they can say they do, but no one truly knows what a hit song is uh, or maybe not so much what a hit song is, or, or but, but what that song and how that song is going to resonate among listeners. What that right. song is going to make other people feel, because as, as a as a writer, as an artist, sometimes you're just too close to the song. You're too attached to it. Um, and sometimes you're maybe sick of it. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, Tim had touched on that uh, to where he was just like, you know, I just got to the point where I was banging my head against the wall. I just couldn't couldn't figure out how I wanted this and that to be in the song. And, and Ryan even mentioned that he, he just couldn't get a chorus. Yeah. And hey, that uh, was a that, that was a common theme between those two songs is both those guys couldn't couldn't get that whatever that finishing touch on that song and then when it happened it was like magic yeah and in relation to this song uh you know the every aspect of ocean avenue it became the title of the album it was how they marketed the record it was the the front cover of the record the the artwork the everything went along with the theme of, of ocean avenue it became everything about the record was this song and to think if it was left off that none of that would have happened and, and who knows if they would have been a household name Right. Yeah. And and I thought it was wild. And we, we've touched on this in other episodes, too, that these kind of recording budgets don't exist anymore oh. uh, <laughs> in, in, in these days. But uh, Ryan brought up the fact that Yellow Card had a $350,000 budget and, and they ended up spending twice that on the recording. And at that time, and I guess it was a big part of it was because people still bought the physical compact discs at the time. And I think that there was uh, more money available for that kind of thing. Well, I mean, just the fact they recorded at Sunset Sound, which is a legendary studio. I mean, when you park your car at Sunset Sound and you open the front the door of your car, and, and as soon as your foot hits the pavement, it's fifteen hundred dollars just to get in the building. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I mean, it's it was something like that back then. I remember, you know, studios were still charging uh, uh, a premium uh, to get in. The, you know, home recording capabilities in your own studios just definitely wasn't uh, where it, where it's at today. Um, and labels had money. People were buying physical product. Uh, they had that money to to throw around that doesn't exist today. Are those type of studios going the way of like blockbuster video now? You know, the good ones are still out there, and I'm sure that their prices have 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 come down uh, considerably since. Uh, I mean, this this record was recorded in 2002, uh, Ocean Avenue. So, um, but it's just it, again, it goes to show you the the money that was floating around that, that labels had then, uh, and uh, <laughs> just the waste of money that was going on. I mean, we we yeah. had that issue less than Jake with uh, being on labels. We'd, we'd see how money was allocated. We're like, why are they spending all this? And the re the, the fact that the matter was it, it was because they had it <laughs> they, well also don't you have to recoup that money when you're the band well like, you do but uh you know we, we probably owe capital and warner brothers a total of uh you know six million dollars right now and so the beauty of of the contract as a band is you sign as a band and and uh they'll continue to to make money off those records uh in perpetuity and if you pay them back you pay them back but they can never come after me personally for my assets thank god <laughs> right that's a good thing because uh, i'd be sitting in the middle yeah. of a dirt field right now somewhere in sanford florida <laughs> right uh dude i think that it's also very it's always very interesting in that kind of and you know obviously a lot of our guests you've talked to them about like when's the first time you heard your song on the radio or whatever but uh some of these songs that we've talked about on the podcast ocean avenue a perfect example became like gigantic songs and to hear the artist talk a little bit about what that was like to have this enormous song that is just like bigger than the sum of its parts it's bigger like the song becomes bigger than the band the song is just like you know enormous and what that feels like uh it's always interesting to me it makes me a little a little envious but but in a in a cool way <laughs> yeah no i mean it, it was funny because we had done a u.s tour with them uh yellow card around oh three um and the song was blowing up 
I mean, and there was there was people and you could tell they would they would watch Yellow Card and then we would play. And, and uh, after Yellow Card, there was some people leaving the show. And that wasn't, you know, a, a knock on less than Jake. It's just that just shows you how big they were getting. They were getting these periphery radio people that necessarily didn't know even know who less than Jake was or, or knew, didn't even know who Yellow Card was th- three months prior. Um, and it was just blowing up in the U.S. And then that fall, we had taken them over to the U.K. where we had a stronghold and uh I remember, you know, they, they had a good reaction it was, it was starting to, they were starting to get a buzz over there, but it wasn't like it was in the States, you know? So right. they, uh, it was, it was odd going from the U S where, I mean, when they would play ocean Avenue, the place would go bonkers. And then, you know, seeing them in the UK, it, it hadn't hit over there yet. And it was just a short couple months later. So, um, things happen quick for those guys. And as Ryan touched on, and, and he said that, uh, you know, it was absolutely surreal when the song blew up that, uh, you know, they went from being like this, this garage band to, to having this huge hit. Uh, and, and they were, they were young for lack of a better word, kids, they were in their early twenties. Right. Hey, I, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on that kind of relates to songwriting, which, you know, is the theme of the podcast is, you know, in less than Jake or in, in any song that, that you've written, have you ever set out like kind of, <laughs> uh, intentionally trying to write a hit song like i know that yeah every song we write <laughs> we're trying to write a hit song but i mean really like studied the 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 format of like other hit songs and tried to like emulate that ever and if you have how did that turn out are there any do you have any examples from lesson jake where like you kind of tried to do that no not like that verbatim and like t- taking a blueprint of another song and been like i'm gonna try to you know emulate this and, and make it into uh you know a cookie cutter hit for ourselves but we, you know we i did do some co-writes with other people mark hoppus from blink being one of them um and and some other some other folks uh did some co-writes just to try to branch out and try to you know have other ideas uh, come in because you know I know where my instincts lie as a songwriter. I know where I'm going to go. I know what chord I'm going to go to here most of the time, and uh, it's nice to have someone challenge you and and push you. Uh, right. To, so I, I think yeah yeah. So that that's ba- yeah that's that's you know for me that was not so much wanting to write a hit single. It was wanting to branch out and try to do do different things and learn things as a writer. Right. I think my main point was. <clears throat> Anytime, and it hasn't been a lot of times that me and my band or whatever have set out to like, let's write this hit song that it doesn't work out it, that, that that's, that's not the way to approach songwriting. In my experience, the way to approach it is to write a song from the heart and, uh, that pe- I, I think people can see through that. And if you're just trying to write to the lowest common denominator and try to sound like what's on the radio or what's popular, that the song is going to suffer and that is not going to be the song that people latch on to. I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. I'm sure record labels have put together and created a few hits that way. But well, uh, and, and so much, so much of it is, is right time, right place. I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, follow-up records to the big hit, the band or you know, here's the next single from the record. And actually the song is better than the hit or in my opinion, it's better. I'm like, this is going to be a smash and it just does nothing. It doesn't resonate. It was, you know, it might've even been a carbon copy, kind of the same format, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, and kind of had a same lyrical theme. But in this case, I thought the song was better, but it just, it, it, it didn't come out two years ago. It didn't have this attached to it. Uh, all these other factors that go into it, right time and right place. And uh, a little bit of luck uh, goes a long way with all this stuff. And there's, there's no science or, or true formula behind it. There's a lot of intangibles there, man. You could write a perfect song. Uh, it's just a beautiful song, awesome lyrics, you know, perfect uh, arrangement. And yeah, if it's not the right time for it, if it's not, if it would have hit the next, the following year or the year before, uh, just because of like what was going on, uh, it, whether it was in music or in the world or anything like that, you can't account for those things. And all you can do, just like any, anyone says that luck is like when preparation meets what <laughs> I forget what that phrase is, but it, it, it's it's basically like being ready for uh, an opportunity, being as prepared as possible, and that's the same way with music. If you keep keep writing great songs, uh, I, I feel like in one way or another you will be successful. I like to think that anyway. 
Well, I, I can't argue with you, and I also want to thank you for your segue just now. You're talking about the perfect song, and I'd like to write somebody oh, yeah. their perfect <laughs> song. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Keep those custom songs coming. I'd love to write a custom song for you, your business, uh, a jingle for your business, uh, for your family, uh, for your band, for whatever. And uh, Chris and I are also offering animation to go along with that to see some of our examples. You can go to ChrisToMakes.com. That'll redirect you to the YouTube page where you can see our work. Um, and for more info on all of this, you can write, uh, email me, uh, KristaMakes at gmail.com. Uh, please keep subscribing. Keep the word of mouth going about the podcast if you haven't already. Join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. Uh, it's a private group, but it's easy to join. All you have to do is uh, submit who you'd like to see on the show. You can follow me uh, at Instagram at less than Chris D, on Twitter at less than Chris, and uh, on Facebook at official Krista Makes. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Until next week, we'll see you then. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the shadows. Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>